0: I want you to take a Bible and let's open it this morning to 1 Samuel chapter 23 in the Old Testament. We're going to be continuing in our ongoing study in the life of the great man of God, David. 1 Samuel chapter 23, and if you didn't bring a Bible today, we'd like you to borrow our copy of the Bible. We are going to be on page 208, page 208 in our copy of the Bible, or 1 Samuel chapter 23 in your copy. Now, when I, when I say the word loyalty, uh, who do you think of? Well, I don't know who immediately comes to your mind, but the first person who comes to my mind is Lassie. I mean, Lassie is the most loyal person in the whole world, right? I mean, you, 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 can, you can hurt her. You can lose her. You can do things to her that she doesn't understand. You can create a new crisis for her every single week for television. And it doesn't matter. Lassie is always loyal. She always returns devotion and fidelity to you. Wouldn't it be wonderful if our world were full of people like Lassie? Wouldn't that be wonderful? But we know it isn't. We know our world is full of people like Benedict Arnold and Tanya Harding. And that loyalty runs very shallow in this world. And so today, we want to talk about loyalty, and the reason we want to talk about it is because in the passage before us today, David also learns the lesson the hard way that people's loyalty runs very shallow. We want to look at his experience, and then what we want to do is translate it into the 20th century and say, okay, well, so what difference does this make to our lives? This issue of loyalty as Christians in the 20th century, it makes a huge difference. We want to talk about it. Well, anyway, let's begin back here in 1 Samuel 23, a little bit of background. David is leading a small group of malcontents hiding out in the desert from King Saul, who's trying to kill him. And that's where he is as we pick up the story. Verse 1. And when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah. Keilah was a little city just southwest of Jerusalem. And when the Philistines were fighting and were looting the threshing floors there, he inquired of the Lord, saying, Lord, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him and said, go attack the Philistines and save this little town of Keilah. Now, threshing floors were big, open areas where people would bring grain when they first harvested it. And then what they do is they would crack the kernels there and they would separate the outer husk from the usable wheat or the barley or whatever it happened to be. And they would pile up the usable grain for then, you know, then to use. And, and what was happening is the Philistines were waiting until the people of Kila did all the hard work. And then they were sweeping down and robbing them of all the cleaned grain and taking it. So they were really endangering the, these people's very ability to survive by doing this. And David said, God, these are Jewish people. These are my people. And, 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 and I need to go do something about this, don't I? And God said, yes, go ahead and go. Now you say, well, where was King Saul? I mean, why wasn't King Saul down there doing his kingly duty and protecting these people? Well, the answer is, Saul was so obsessed with pursuing and finding David and killing David that he wasn't even worried about doing what he was supposed to be doing. All he was worried about was David. Well, verse 3, but David's men said to him, here in Judah, we are afraid How much more if we go to Kilah against the Philistine forces? And once again, David inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him and said, I want you to go to Kila, and I am going to give the Philistines into your hands. David's men come to him and they say, David, you know what? We really have some misgivings about doing this. You say, well, what were they scared about? Well, two things. Number one, they were scared of the Philistines. I mean, there's only 600 of them. And to go face a whole Philistine army, I mean, they were scared of that. The other thing they were uh, afraid of is they were afraid of King Saul. They've been hiding in caves and out in the the remote wilderness. Now, if they go right into the heart of Israel to save this city, they're exposing themselves. And they're worried that they're very likely to find the Philistines in front of them. Of them if they do this and Saul right behind them and be boxed in. So they say, David, we're not sure this is a great idea, son. Well, David goes back, asks God a second time. God, do you really want me to do this? God says, yes, I do. So they go. Verse five. And so David attacked the Philistines and he inflicted heavy losses on them and he saved the people of Keilah. Verse seven. And Saul was told that David had gone to Keilah. And he said, this is wonderful. God has handed him over to me. For David has imprisoned himself by entering a town with gates and bars. And so Saul called up all of his forces for battle to go down to Keilah and besiege David and his men. You understand what's happening here, don't you? Saul realized if he could move quickly, if he could surprise David, if he could catch him off guard, he could, he could find him there in the city and the city was walled and he'd have David trapped and there'd be no place for David to go. Verse 9, and David learned that Saul was going to do this. Verse 10, so David asked the Lord, he said, O Lord God of Israel, I have heard definitely that Saul plans to come to Keilah and destroy the town on account of me. Now, I've got a couple questions, God. Number one, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me to him? Will they really do that? And number two, will Saul really come down the way I've heard? O Lord God of Israel, answer me, tell me. And the Lord God said, yes, Saul's coming. So David asked him again, well, will the citizens of Keilah surrender me and my men to Saul? Will they really do that? And the Lord said, they will. So David and his men, about 600 in number, left Keilah, and they kept moving from place to place. And when Saul was told that David had escaped from Keilah, he did not go there. Now, I don't know about you, but I find this turn of events to be pretty amazing, huh? I mean, here we've got these people of this little town. The Philistines are coming. They're robbing them. They're stealing their grain. They're endangering their very ability to survive. They're no doubt killing a few men and raping a few women in the process. And it wasn't King Saul who helped them. It wasn't King Saul who put his life on the line to defend them. It wasn't King Saul who put their needs ahead of his own needs to come out there and deliver them. It was David. And yet after David had done all of that for them, is it a go figure for you? I mean, it's a go figure for me that all of a sudden they would turn around and as soon as Saul wants him to, they would betray David and give him right over into Saul's hands. That doesn't make much sense, does it? Amazing. Amazing. You know, I love Tammy Wynette's song. Stand by your man. Tell him you love him only. What do you think? You know, my voice is so bad, I actually could be a country singer. I mean, to be honest. But, but here's the point, friends. The point is, Tammy Wynette, these people weren't, huh? They weren't going to stand by their man. They were going to betray David the first opportunity they got, That's how shallow their loyalty ran. Now, that's the end of our passage, but of course it leads us to the really important question. And what's the really important question? so what? Right. Lon, so what? I mean, it's a nice story. I feel bad for David. Your voice really is awful. But so what? I mean, what difference does this make for me in the 20th century in my everyday life? doesn't make any difference at all. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. This issue of loyalty, I think, is a major issue in our world today. And I want to talk to you about how we, as Christians, need to be involved in this issue of loyalty. You know, uh, the movie Maker Samuel Goldwyn once said, I will take 50% efficiency to get 100% loyalty. That's a pretty amazing statement. I'll take somebody who maybe is only a 50% effective in their job, but I'll take them if they're 100% loyal. And, and friends, this, this, this loyalty, this commodity, loyalty, fidelity, devotion, as Maverick put it, never leaving your wingman. This is one of the greatest commodities in the world. The problem is it's also one of the most difficult to find. We all know the number one law of human nature. Self-preservation. David saw it in action right here at the people of Keilah. Man, they thought about themselves and they said, if it's us or David, we're going to give to all David. We'll be happy to throw him over the wall to you, Saul. And many of us, I will bet, have in our lives also run into people who are living according to the number one law of human nature, self-preservation. People who've betrayed us. People who have stabbed us in the back. People who have deserted us. Maybe it was a mother or a father. Maybe it was a a friend at school that you really trusted. Maybe it was an old boyfriend or an old girlfriend or maybe an ex-husband or an ex-wife. Or maybe somebody at work or somebody in your family or maybe even somebody at church. Many of us here know what it's like to be betrayed. Now, there's one thing that's always true about being betrayed. And that is that it hurts. And it not only hurts when it happens... But, you know, it keeps on hurting very often for a long, long time. Friends, you don't pastor a church for 18 and a half years without having some of this happen to you. And in those 18 and a half years, through some of those experience of having people that I thought were my friends put the knife in my back, God has taught me a very important lesson. And what God has taught me is that if I'm not careful... I can allow the disloyalty of other people to turn me into a cynical, bitter person. I can allow their disloyalty to to turn me into a person that's scared to ever trust anybody again. A person who's scared to ever let my guard down again. You know the Simon and Garfunkel song, which I am not going to sing, by the way. The Simon and Garfunkel song, I am a rock. The song says that if I never would have loved, I never would have cried. But because I've been through that experience of being hurt, now I am a rock. I am an island. I touch no one and no one touches me ever again. Man, no one's ever doing that to me again. And I have learned, God has taught me, that I cannot allow other people's disloyalty to turn me into an emotional hermit. I cannot allow their mistreatment of me to cause me to emotionally shut down and isolate myself from people. And if that's where you are today, you can't allow other people's mistreatment of you to produce that in your life either. Because, friends, God did not make us to be rocks. God did not make us to be islands. God made us to be live in community with other people and to be connected with other people and to be emotionally involved with other people. That's the only way to live a healthy, functional life. And you can't let somebody else's mistreatment cause you to become a sick person. You say, well, Lon, I hear what you say, but where do I go find all these loyal friends you're talking about that I can really trust, that I that I can let my guard down with? Well, let's agree. A couple of things I want to say on that. Let's agree, first of all, that there is no human being that you and I can trust 100%. No human being. And that's why I'm so glad for what Jesus says in the Bible about Himself. Would you turn with me to to the Gospel according to John? John chapter 10. It's page 759, if you're using our copy of the Bible. Page 759, John chapter 10. Because Jesus tells us something here about loyalty that we need to know. Where can we find someone who's 100% loyal to us? Well, look what Jesus says. Verse 11, John chapter 10. Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. Now, that's a loyalty statement. The hired hand is not the shepherd. He's not the one who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep. He runs away. And then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he's a hired hand. And he doesn't really care about the sheep. But I am the good shepherd, verse 15, and I lay down my life. For my sheep. Folks, this is Jesus Christ telling us that when you become a Christian and you become one of his sheep, you get in him a person who is 100% loyal. When the wolf comes, the lion comes, the bear comes to cause problems, He doesn't take off like a hired hand. He's there for the duration, folks. And no matter what happens, He will never betray us. He will never forsake us. He will never let us down. He even said that, I will never leave you, nor will I ever forsake you. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. That's where we find a person 100% loyal. And may I say to you that if you're here today and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, then what you get when you get a personal relationship with Jesus is you don't just get forgiveness of sin and you don't just get a ticket into heaven. You do get those things. But more than that, you get resources to help you live this life. And one of the things that every one of us needs to live a good and healthy life is we need to know that somebody is going to be loyal to us 100% of the time, no matter No matter what comes our way, someone's going to stick with us. And Jesus says, I'm that someone. I'll be your good shepherd. And if necessary, I'll lay down my life for you. But I don't take off and run when the trouble starts. You can count on me. Something for you to think about. Jesus wants to be that in your life if you'll give him a chance. You say, well, Lon, I'm a Christian and I understand what you're saying and I know that I can trust God to be 100% loyal. But you just said that I also need people, right? I need people in whom I can trust. People in whom I can confide. People with whom I can let down my guard. Right. Well, Lon, how do I find these people? Do you remember the old uh, soap commercial for ivory soap? that ivory soap is ninety nine and forty four percent pure well, folks, you will not be able to ever find a person who is 100% loyal in every situation that you can trust because we're all just people. But there are people out there who are 99 and 44, 100% trustworthy. There are ivory-soaked people out there. You say, well, Lon, how do I find these people? How do I identify these people so I know who to let my guard down with and who not to? Good question. You know, I have people who come up all the time and say to me, Lon, we love this church. This is a wonderful church. We're so glad to be here. You're the best thing since sliced bread. And this is the best thing since the early church. And they just are so glowing. And, re- and, and, and you know, and I try to be gracious and I say thank you very much. It's very nice of you to say that. But do you want to know what I'm really thinking? You want to know what I'm really thinking? What I'm really thinking as I listen to them go on about this is, OK, let's see where you are in five years. Let's see where you are after I make a few bonehead mistakes. And let's see where you are after I make a few bonehead bad decisions. And let's see where you are after McLean Bible Church goes through a few ups and downs. And if in five years you're still standing in the lobby saying this to me, then I'm prepared to say I believe you. You say, man, you really are a cynic, aren't you? No, I'm not a cynic. I'm a realist and I have learned the hard way, friends, that loyalty, that loyalty that is true loyalty, is loyalty that is tested over time. You want to know how to identify the Ivory Soap people in your life? Look at the people who have stood with you over time. Look at the people who have stood with you when you were at your worst. Look at the people who were loyal to you when you were at your lowest. Look at the people who had lots of opportunities to betray you, and they didn't. Who had lots of opportunities to to stab you in the back, and they didn't. These are the people, the ivory soap people of the world that you can trust. And God puts them into every life. If you will look carefully at your life, they will bob to the surface in your life. They're there. Maybe it's a mom or a dad. Maybe it's a sister or a brother. Or maybe it's a husband or a wife or a friend that has just been there for you through the worst of it. Those are your ivory soap people, folks. And those are the people that you need to go to and not be a rock and not be an island. And 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 let them touch your life and you touch their life because you can't be a healthy human being if you don't. Those are your loyal people and they are there in your life if you look. You say well, Lon, that's great, but you're ten, Are we done? Because you're ten minutes early. Are, are we through? Uh, no, you know better than that. You know better than that. No, not quite yet. I have one more thing I want to say to you, and that is this: that it is important that we as Christians have loyal friends. That's important, but it is more important that we as Christians be loyal friends. To other people. And I want to take the last couple minutes I've got to talk to you and me about not how to have loyal friends or identify loyal friends for us, but how to be loyal friends for other people. I have three principles I want to give you. If you want to be a loyal friend. And you know, when I was thinking about that uh, that whole issue this week, I noticed something in the Bible I have never noticed before in 28 years of studying the Bible. And that is that every great man and woman of God in the Bible, I don't know if you ever thought about it, knew how to be loyal to their friends. You ever think about this? There was Joshua, who for 40 years in the wilderness was loyal to Moses, never tried to end run him, never stuck a knife in his back, never tried a cheap political move to take over, was just loyal. And then there, you know, there, there was Abraham who was loyal to Lot. And then there was uh, Jonathan, who was loyal to David. And there was David, who was loyal to Saul. There was Ruth, who was loyal to Naomi. There was the Lord Jesus Himself, who was loyal to Peter, even after Peter betrayed Him. There was Barnabas, who was loyal to John Mark and loyal to Paul. And what I began to realize this week as I was studying the Bible was that knowing how to be a loyal friend seems to be an important characteristic, an important character trait that every man and woman of God needs to know how to exhibit. So how are we? How can we become loyal friends? Well, I've got three principles. Number one, if you want to be a loyal friend, number one, learn to value relationships above personal gains. Learn to value relationships above personal gain because the crisis point with regard to our loyalty to others always comes at those moments when we have an opportunity to gain something if we put the knife in them. Loyalty is never tested when everything is going along fine. The real test of loyalty is that you're offered an opportunity to gain something that you really want and all you have to do to get it is betray your friend. Now that's when loyalty is tested. And folks, the only way to be a loyal friend is to make the decision that your relationship with that other person is more important to you than any personal gain or advancement that you could possibly get by betraying them. Think of Jonathan and David. You know, Jonathan, King Saul's son. We've already talked a little bit about them. Saul kept telling Jonathan, his son, Jonathan, you are never going to be king as long as David's alive. You need to betray him. You need to turn him over to me. You need to rat on him and tell me where he is and I'll go cut his head off and then you can be king and you'll have all the power and all the prestige and all the prominence that comes from being the king but as long as David's alive it'll never happen Saul was right he was absolutely right and yet Jonathan would not betray his friend David you know why because his relationship with David he valued that more than he valued being king now that's the mark of a loyal friend And folks, the only way you and I will ever be loyal friends to others is by making that same decision in our life that relationships are more important than any gain, any advantage or any advancement you may get by betraying them. And may I say one more thing on this? And that's this, that if you and I treat people right, if we are loyal friends to people the way God wants us to be, God Himself will take care of getting you and me whatever gain, whatever advancement we need to get. We treat people right. God will take care of getting us everywhere we need to go. You and I do not need to betray people to get where God wants us to go. Number two. How to be a loyal friend? Not only learn to put relationships above personal gain, but principle number two, if we're going to be loyal to our friends, we need to learn how to forgive other people from our hearts. The reason for that is that friends... Hurt each other. Friends disappoint each other. Friends let each other down. And, and the only way we can persevere over the long haul, being loyal to somebody, is to learn how to forgive those hurts from our heart. To learn how to make those hurts ancient history. And to turn them into non-issues in our relationship with people. You know, I think of the great man of God, Abraham. And his snotty little nephew, Lot. Lot. You know, that Abraham was the one that God called, and Lot came along as a hitchhiker, really, out of the graciousness of Uncle Abraham. And he tagged around with him. Abraham became filthy rich. I don't know if you realize it, but Abraham was one of the richest men in the ancient Near East in his lifetime. And Lot... Simply because he was hanging around when Uncle Abraham became rich too. And there came a point, the book of Genesis tells us, where the two of them could no longer stay together. There were just too many animals. The, 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 the land, the pasture land couldn't support them. So Abraham comes to Lot and in his gracious way, he says to his snotty little nephew, he says, now Lot, we need to split. And, and he said, so you make the first choice, Lot. If you want to go east, I'll go west. If you want to go north, I'll go south. You choose. Now, wouldn't you think at that moment an appropriate response would have been, no, Uncle Abraham, no. I'm only where I am today because I happen to be close to you. You're the man God called. You're the man God has blessed. You choose, Uncle Abraham, where you want to go and I will happily go someplace else. Now, doesn't that seem like that would have been a good thing to do? But not a lot. Lot looked around and picked the prettiest, the best, the most luxurious, the richest part of the whole land and said, I want that. And Abraham gave it to him. You know where Abraham went and lived? He went up and lived in the hill country of Judea. If you ever go to Israel sometime, you understand what I'm talking about. It is stony and rocky and tree laden. The pasture land is awful up there. But Abraham went up there because Lot decided to go take all the rich land. Well, a few years later, there was an invasion down where Lot was living and some folks took him away captive. And when the word got to Abraham, what did Abraham say? He said, wow, that little punk finally got what he deserved. No, he didn't. Now, that's not what he said. He said, no, we got to get an army together and we got to go rescue my nephew. And he went out and rescued his nephew. This is Loyalty. And as you read this story, I don't know about you, but I am gripped with the fact that it had to hurt Abraham when his nephew acted like this. But the reason that Abraham was able to stay loyal to Lot is because Abraham had learned how to turn hurt into ancient history. He had learned how to take hurt and make it a non-issue anymore in their relationship. And that is a wonderful skill and the reason that God gave us the Spirit of God living inside of us was to give us the ability we need to be able to do this. Because the only people who can be loyal to others over the long haul are people who know how to turn hurt into ancient history. And if you're a Christian and you don't know how to do this, if you still got lots of baggage, then we actually have a little seminar that we run called Living Free Free in Christ, where we will teach you God's principles for how to turn hurt into ancient history. You can sign up for it. It's part of McLean University right out in the lobby. But this is a skill you and I all need to have or we will never be loyal to people. Third and finally, with this I'm done, not only if we want to be loyal do we need to learn how to value relationships over gain. And not only, second of all, do we need to learn how to turn hurt into ancient history, but third and finally, if we're going to be loyal to people, we need to learn to see people for what they can become, not for what they are right now. See, this is why parents remain loyal to teenagers instead of selling them into slavery. Because we don't see them just for what they are right now. We see them for what they can become by the grace of God over the years. And friends, this is why Barnabas, that wonderful man of God, stuck with John Mark. If you remember the story, Paul and John Mark and Barnabas went out on the first missionary journey. And John Mark deserted them, ran away, ran home, headed for the hills. And when it came time to go on the second missionary journey, Barnabas... Wanted to give John Mark another chance. And Paul said, no way. Barnabas said, but Paul, you know, there's a lot of potential in this young man. You know, I mean, anybody can make a mistake. Paul, you're not perfect either. Let's give the man another chance. And Paul said, Barnabas, not going to happen. I'm not doing it. In fact, their disagreement was so major that they split up over it for a while. But what was the difference? The difference was Paul was looking at Barnabas for what he had been. I mean, looking at John Mark, forgive me for what he had been. Barnabas was looking at John Mark for what he could become. If somebody were loyal to him, if somebody stuck with him, if somebody believed in this young man, Barnabas said, this man can become something, Paul. And you know Barnabas was right? Absolutely right. At the end of his life, the Apostle Paul in jail in Rome writes in 2 Timothy chapter 4, Bring John Mark to see me because he has become valuable in the work of God. Who was right? Barnabas was right. John Mark turned out to be a mighty man of God because somebody, Barnabas, stuck with him, was loyal to him and believed in him. And the reason Barnabas did it is not because of who John Mark was right then, but because of who John Mark could become. You know, years ago, many of you who are new here have no idea of this, but years ago, I was almost fired from McLean Bible Church. And the reason was because I'd made some bad decisions that had really hurt some people. Uh, I wanted to go in a direction that a lot of people didn't agree with. There were a lot of reasons. And about half the board of elders that are here at McLean Bible Church at the time wanted to fire me. The chairman of the board back then was a fellow named Jim Mitchell. He still attends regularly McLean Bible Church. And Jim Mitchell stood with me in those days. Jim Mitchell was loyal to me in those days. Now, it's not that Jim Mitchell didn't see that I had problems. One time he came up to me after a sermon and he said to me, you know, he said, you may be able to preach. He said, but you're still Greenwood. Now, in case you don't get it, that is not a compliment that he gave me. And looking back now, many years later, he was right. Absolutely right. I couldn't see it then, but I see it now. The man was right. And yet, in spite of that, Jim Mitchell would confront me, but he never deserted me. He would correct me, but he would never betray me. And I have to believe that the reason for this was that when Jim looked at me, he didn't just see me for what I was many years ago, but he had a vision of what I might be able to become by the grace of God if somebody just stuck with me and believed in me. And he did that. Folks, I can say to you with absolute honesty, if it were not for Jim Mitchell and a few friends like him, I would definitely not be the pastor of McLean Bible Church today. And there's a very good chance I wouldn't even be in the ministry today. I think I would have. It's very possible I would have gotten so discouraged and so disillusioned that I just would have thrown the whole thing in. And I love this man. I would do anything for this man because he stood with me when very few people were willing to, not because of what I was but because of what he believed I could become. And friends, one of the loyalty's greatest tests comes at that moment of exasperation when we're ready to say to somebody, that's it, I've had it, that's one too many times I'm fed up with you, I'm cutting you loose, you're on your own... And those are the moments where we need to remember that loyalty means seeing people for what they can be by God's grace, not for what they are right now. And knowing that the only way our friends will ever get there is by having some loyal friends stick with them and believe in them. Now, maybe somebody did that for you. Maybe a mom or a dad did that for you. Maybe a sister or a brother did that for you or a wife or a husband or a friend. But I can't help but believe that most of us here could honestly say we would not be where we are today if it had not been for some loyal person way back when who believed in us and stuck with us when very few people were willing to. And that's why we made it to where we are today. Now, folks, what God's telling you and me is it's our turn to do that for somebody else now. It's our turn to be that way for other people. How to be a loyal friend? Three principles. Number one, learn to value relationships above personal gain. Number two, learn to forgive people from the heart. Learn how to turn hurt into ancient history. And number three, learn to see friends for what they can be by God's grace if we're just willing to stick with them and help get them there. You know, I have to be honest with you and tell you, for most of my life, I have not known how to be a very good friend. And and I grew up never having been taught by my parents or anybody else how to be a very good friend to other people. It's only in the last few years has God has helped me understand these principles and as I've begun trying to make them real in my life that I've learned how to be a friend to somebody. And it's been wonderful to learn how to be a friend. Folks, God wants you to be a friend to somebody. And God wants you to be the kind of person that people look on it as a blessing and, and as a privilege that you're their friend. That's what God wants to make you. And if you'll follow these principles, I'm telling you, they've served me well. They will help you to do that. Let's bow our heads together. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, and we'll be gone in just a second here, but just before we do, I want to give you just a moment. And if there's some people in your life that maybe you have not been as loyal to as you should have, or maybe if there's some people in your life that you're right on the edge of um, betraying and turning on. I'd like to give you just a moment to talk to God and, and maybe consider before God a different approach in light of what we've talked about today. Lord Jesus, we live in Washington, D.C., the home of the Washington Two-Step where loyalty runs very shallow. And Lord, most of us here have been on the receiving end of knives in the back at points in our lives. I pray today that you would give us a whole new perspective on how you want to respond us to respond to these things, a whole new perspective on this issue of loyalty. And I pray that you would grip our hearts with the fact that you want us to be loyal friends to others in such a way that people would consider it a blessing and an honor to have us as their friend. This is not just a good thing, but it's a mark of a godly man or woman, a man or woman who's seeking to follow Jesus Christ. And so my prayer is that you would take the Word of God today and that you would change us, change our relationships with our friends. Make us a blessing to others in your name. And for the people we've prayed about today, Lord, if there's a need for an apology, give us the courage to go do it. If there's a need for a change in action, give us the courage to go do it. God, help us live like you want us to. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.